Welcome to Word of Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will move to and through you from today's message. And while you're here, go ahead and head over to our online platform, thelifeonline.cc, where you'll find content on all kinds of topics like forgiveness, healing, prophecy, faith, and so much more. So check it out at thelifeonline.cc and enjoy today's message. Uh, We're in a series entitled When Life Hurts. And today I want to talk about when marriage hurts. Uh, Now, some of you, you may be single. Maybe today that changes. Go in the lobby. You never know uh, at the end of a service. Uh, But uh, how many of you know the best thing to learn these things about marriage is before you're married, not while you're married? Uh, So we need to learn these things. But then also, maybe you know somebody in your life you can forward this message to or relay this podcast to. I do believe it's a message born of the Spirit. I got this message in prayer. Uh, So I believe that when people listen to this, uh, they're going to hear the Spirit speak to them in it. And uh, in fact, before we do anything else, could we just pause a moment and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we open up the word this morning. Amen. Let's bow our heads no matter where we're at. Father, we come before you. We love you. We honor you. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. He is our teacher, our counselor, and our guide. And Father, we thank you that as we open up your word today, it becomes a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Father, we thank you no matter who we are or where we are today, that while we're here and listening to this, even if it's in a vehicle or in another state, That, Father, your spirit is speaking right to our hearts, just cutting to the quick of us. And, Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, it's important when we're talking about when marriage hurts that I bring up something that's not fun for me to bring up, but it's something that is critical for me too. And that is, when it comes to reconciliation, the question you'll always have to ask is this. Is it unwise or uncomfortable? Uh, So whenever you're considering reconciliation with anybody, uh, whether it's a friend or spouse, a child, a boss, a parent, whoever it may be, you have to ask, is it unwise or is it uncomfortable? And there are times where it is unwise. Uh, Forgiveness is one-sided. How many of you know you can forgive anybody for anything? Um, It doesn't matter how wrong they may have been or how much they may have hurt you. Because of Jesus and his power, uh, we forgive. But forgiveness does not equal reconciliation. Forgiveness is one-sided. Reconciliation is two-sided. And sometimes it is unwise for reconciliation to happen. Well, when are those cases? Whenever it's dangerous. Whenever there's potential harm for you physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, Uh, When it is unwise, it's something that you have to wait to reconcile until it is wise. And the biblical narrative for this is David and Saul. We see David honor Saul. Saul was at a place in his life where he was very sick in the head uh, and honestly very sick of the heart. Sometimes if you allow things to just sit on your head long enough, it'll darken every part of you. And that's what happened to King Saul. He became someone who was a herder. And he hurt everybody in his life. It didn't matter who you were. If you were close to Saul, you were going to get hurt by Saul. 
And David was at this place where he loved Saul and genuinely wanted a relationship with him. And that's always the heart of forgiveness. When you've forgiven someone, you want a reconciliation. When you've forgiven someone, you want a relationship with them. That's how you know your heart is whole. That's how you know it's healed, is there's a desire for reconciliation. But David, even though his heart wanted reconciliation, knew it would be unwise and unsafe for him to pursue it. How many of you know when someone is throwing spears at you, it's a good sign you ought not get too close? Uh, Like, you don't need an angel to come and tell you, leave. Uh, You know, out of that, the spear in the wall is a sign it's time for me to exit. Uh, But out of this, David knew this is unsafe for me to be in close proximity to Saul. It's unwise. And so I want to emphasize that, that when you you come to a place where it is unwise to pursue reconciliation, that you you proceed with caution and that you wait for the Lord to deal with the Sauls in your life before reconciliation happens. But most of the time, it's not unwise, it's uncomfortable. And when I'm talking about when marriage hurts, I'm not talking about when it hurts, uh, you know, spiritually or emotionally or physically where there's abuse. I'm talking about when you're in a situation where there are expectations that are going unfulfilled and you know that there's a level of intimacy that maybe even you once had that you're not enjoying right now. Um, I see this happen with with many marriages. They, They come into this place where there is maintenance and not deepening. And the problem with maintenance is whenever you're maintaining something, and I see this a lot with couples my age because, you know, our kids are kind of in this stage where they're requiring a lot of us, and then our careers are at a stage where it's requiring a lot of us. And so you're giving so much to a career, and you're giving so much to children, that marriage is kind of in maintenance mode. Well, nothing ever maintains. Um, if, If it's not growing, it's decreasing. And maybe you're in that season of life right now where you can tell there's something that is blocking our intimacy. That there is something that is is maintaining, it is not deepening, and it needs to be addressed. And that's exactly what I want to do today is I want to address it. I, I want us to come to a place where all of us who are married are seeing our relationships with our spouses go deeper. Um, that these ideas and constructs of scripture, of romance and adventure and excitement and warmth are not just things that we see that can happen, but are things that are actually enjoyed. And I want to get us on track to those things. And for those of us who are on track, just rather the track. Take it even deeper in our lives. Amen. Uh, And so to do this, I want to teach us today out of the book of Ephesians. Open up your Bibles if you brought them to the book of Ephesians. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 22 all the way through 33. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Here Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Wives, I desire for you to be subject to your own husbands, even as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself, now this is an important part. So like when you're reading this, really read it, you can underline this. He himself being the savior of the body. Who's the body? We are. 
Uh, Christ in marriage, uh, we are the bride of Christ, saves the whole body. Uh, Verse 24, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her or cleanse her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their their wives even as their own bodies. He who loves his, his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body for this reason. A man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery. It's great. But I'm speaking of reference of Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you, also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife see that she respects her husband. Now this is interesting in that it's talking about Christ and the church. What's that? You and Jesus. And it's giving the impression that when we see Jesus and you, it's symbolic of the relationship between a husband and a wife. And God will often use relationships that we know to give us an idea of how relationships with him are to work, that we see God as a father. So the way a father loves his children is the way the heavenly father loves you. It gives you an idea. But God's not just a father who loves us. He also uses the analogy of marriage uh, to teach us how to be married. And to teach us what it's like to be in a relationship with him. He says he is the the groom and we are the bride. Now, I was meditating on this and this is just interesting to me. Uh, As I was praying about what to to share this week, this just kept coming up in my heart in reference to Ephesians 5. Is notice, perfection, which is Christ, married in perfection, which is who? Me. (laughs) Perfection, which is Christ, married in perfection, which is us. Christ is, is symbolic of the husband. The church, which is us, is symbolic of the wife. Perfection, married in perfection. And I would get the idea through much of the counseling that I've done over 20 years that you would think that most people would come into this where we realize that we are imperfect But it sure seems to me that many times people get the impression that perfection, which is themselves, is married imperfection, the one that they're married to. (laughs) And that if they could just get this person who has all these imperfect things about them to, you know, change, get better, grow, improve themselves, that that would improve the overall state of the marriage. But how many of you know, uh, we may be married to imperfection, but we got some imperfections ourselves. And that out of this, the way marriages grow is never by us working on the other person, but instead us making a decision to do what? Oh, you, you said it here at Lakeland. I hope you said it as good at the other campuses as they said it here at Lakeland. Uh, the key to marriage is for me to go to work on myself. 
Now here's what we see through this. Christ, who genuinely is perfection, married imperfection. And my question is, what did he do when he did? When Christ, who is perfection, married you, me, who is imperfect, what did he do with my imperfections? How did he respond? Because the way he responds to our imperfections is the way we are to respond to each other's imperfections. And if we can find out how he responded to those imperfections and respond the same way to the imperfections that are in our spouse, the work that he has done in reconciling us to him is the same work we can see in reconciling ourselves to each other. Uh, Now watch this in in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. That he might present to himself, we're going to major on this verse, we're going to look at it again even after this, that he might present to himself, that he might present to himself his bride, the church, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Now, what's he saying here? That he has this moment where he presents me and you to himself. And when he sees us, he sees us without our imperfections. Holy, blameless, no spot, no wrinkle, no imperfection. And why? Not because of our work on ourselves, but because of his work in our lives. That the way we beat our imperfections is not by our works, but instead by yielding to Christ's work in our lives. And because of him being married to us, we are seeing our imperfections be changed by his perfection. And watch what he does. Ephesians 5 tells us four things he does when he sees our imperfections. And what I want you to do is to ask yourself, when you see your partner's imperfections, do you do these four things? When he sees our imperfections, number one, he gives himself up for us. Verse 25, when he sees your imperfections, you know what he sees? My goodness, how they need me. When he sees me struggling, when he sees me hurting, when he sees me disappointing myself and sees my weaknesses, he's touched by my infirmities and he sees, my goodness, they need me. Number two, when he sees my imperfections, when Christ, who's married to you, sees your imperfections, he says, I know what they need. They need to be washed by the water of my word. 
I've told this story before, but it keeps coming up in my heart today, so you get to hear it again. My repetition is your safety. Years ago, I was listening to someone teach on marriage, and this pastor was talking about how he had been married for many years and pastoring, but his marriage was not where he wanted it to be. And I admired him so much for talking about that, because how many of you know as pastors, we're still working on ourselves as well. We're not perfect. Um, And out of this, he talked about that in his marriage, it just had tension in it. And many times when our marriage has tension in it, we attribute it to the imperfections of the one we're married to. And he said, one day he was praying about this, just concerned about his marriage. He was praying about this, and the Lord showed him something in a vision. I thought this was interesting. He saw himself sitting in a chair, and he had just come in from like playing outside and had just had dirt all over him, like the dirt of the world on him. And he sat down in this chair, and he saw the Lord Jesus walk up with this basin of water and just open up the basin, get out a rag, wet it, and just so gently sit there. And wash him, taking off all the dirt off of him. And it was so cleansing, so kind, so sweet, just this gentle washing, so patient. And he saw himself get cleaned. And then he said, the vision changed. I saw the same chair there and I saw my wife walk in. And he said, when she walked in, she was dirty, just like I was. She came into that relationship just with things on her, imperfections. And instead of getting a basin and a rag to wash it off, he said, I saw myself grab a fire hose and just open that thing up full blast. (laughs) Just getting that dirt off her. But he said in the vision, she couldn't take it. It hurt her. She was crying, and so she kept getting up out of the chair, still dirty, but also now wounded. And he said the Lord spoke to him, and he said, when you came into a relationship with me, did you come into it with issues? He said, yes, sir. He said, do you see how patient and kind I am in my communication with you to clean you from those issues? He said, yes, sir. He said, do you see how you are a different man now than where you were when I first met you? He said, yes, sir. He said, but when you see your wife's imperfections, you're so harsh in the way you talk to her about them that she can't take it. And not only do you see her not get cleaned, but you see her walk away wounded. You see her walk away hurt because of the way you've talked to her about her imperfection. And he said, if you will talk to her the way I talk to you, you'll see a change. When Christ sees my imperfections, he's so gentle with him. And he doesn't leave them unaddressed. He doesn't leave them untalked about. He doesn't leave me dirty. Does that make sense? But out of that, through his loving kindness, it's his goodness that brings me to a place of repentance. 
and his patience. There's many things that God started talking to me about years ago that he's still talking to me about today, but he's working those things out in me. He's so patient. And when we see the imperfections of our our spouses, yes, they need to be clean, but it's this loving process of washing them with the water of the word, coming in with our words and the word of God and gently washing those things off of them until they can stand before us without any blemish because of our washing of the word in their lives. Number three, he nourishes us. I like that, nourishes us. Uh, Your body needs nourishment. I don't know if you figure that out now. My son, he's trying to to gain weight and muscle. I get so irritated at him. He can eat whatever he wants, get on the scale and lose two pounds. It's amazing. Uh, I'm like, enjoy it while it lasts, son. Get get it in while you can. Um, But out of that, he knows, like if I want to see muscle gains, my body needs nourishment. So it needs a certain amount of protein. I'll go and get my blood tested about every six months. I believe in just being healthy and, you know, making sure my cholesterol's good and blood pressure's good and blood's good, all those kinds of things. And one of the things that I I almost always see whenever I get it tested is my vitamin D is a little low. And you can tell that by how pale I am. (laughs) I don't get enough sun. Uh, And so out of that, um, the doctor will always tell me, it's like, you need that in your body. Your body needs that. And he said, you'd have more energy if you got what you needed. Your wife, your husband, they have needs, like not just like need, genuine needs. And they're not going to function well without those needs being met. Now, isn't it interesting? That we're married, in terms of Christ and the church, we're married to perfection. He's genuinely perfection. And perfection will listen to what imperfection needs. In fact, perfection will come to imperfection and not just listen to what imperfection needs, will ask imperfection what it needs. Ask imperfection what it desires. And you would think that perfection would come to imperfection and say, don't you come to me telling me what you need. You are imperfect. I am perfect. Let me tell you what I need from you. But you know what? The heavenly father always gives his church his ear. He'll listen to you whenever you talk. Tell me what you need. He nourishes it. Because he knows when you get what you need in you, it will help you walk with him. It will help you be the person he's called you to be. When, when he's fulfilling your needs and desires, it'll equip you to walk with him in greater intimacy. You'll have a moment like Peter, when he's met all the desires of your heart, Here you see Peter like launching out according to his word and he comes back with all these fish. God's met his desire. And out of this, what does Peter do? He he comes, he falls down on his knees. He's more in love with Jesus. Then he, he literally is on his knees before Jesus. So amazed at his goodness in the life of a sinful man, Peter said. I am a sinful man in that encounter. What are you doing this for a sinful man for? 
Well, why was he doing that for a sinful man? He knew in meeting his desire and his need, it would equip Peter to walk with Jesus in greater intimacy. And so when he sees Peter's imperfection, my imperfection, he's like, tell me what you need. Tell me what you desire. Why? I want to nourish you. And lastly, when he sees my imperfection, the Bible says he cherishes me. This word cherish, when you look it up, it literally means like a hen with an egg to brood on it with such presence until it changes into something else. Like a a hen will like lay on an egg and with its warmth that's coming from the hen, transform the egg through presence and just holding it so close that it transforms into something else. The Bible's beautiful when you really study it. And it gives the impression that like when he sees our imperfection, he's like, come here, you know what you need? You need to be held by me. You would think perfection would judge imperfection, like cast away imperfection when it sees. He's like, nope, you know what you need? Come here. Holds imperfection until it changes into something else. Gives it so much warmth, so much life until it reaches its potential and becomes who it can be. And my question to myself, and I'm the only one who can ask it to me, and you're honestly the only one that can ask it to you, and it matter. If I just kept asking you the questions for you, you'd probably get irritated at me. But here's the question I'm asking myself, and I would ask you to ask the question to yourself. When you see the imperfections of your spouse, do you do these things? When I see my spouse's imperfections, do I see they need me? Do I see they need for me to talk gently to them? Do do I see I need to find out what they need because there may be a reason they're acting this way? Do, Do I see like I need to hold them close and draw them in? What's amazing to me in verse 27, let's look at it again. I told you we'd come back to it. We're there now. Watch in verse 27 that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. That he might present to himself his bride in all of her glory. Now, I love the idea of this, of of Jesus coming and presenting to himself us. And he looks at me to see his work. In my life. And he says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to present Joel to myself. And I'm going to look at him, and I'm going to look to see my work in his life. Now, here's what I want you to do this week. I can't make you do it, but I would ask you to. At some point this week, for those of you who are married, listening to this, watching this, at one of our campuses here at Lakeland right now, here's what I'd ask you to do. At some point this week, have like a a moment of quiet time with the Lord. And I want you to do something in your mind. I want you to do something, eyes closed, genuine, like if you got to light a candle and turn some music on, like, like have a moment with God. And I want you to do something. I want you to present your spouse before you. And I want you to look at him. I want you to look at her. Present them to yourself and ask yourself the following question. 
What have I made them into? What have I made them into? In Christ, it is not our works that saves us. It is his grace. And it's not that our works are absent, because faith without works is dead. But his grace empowers our works to be transformed into his image. And out of this, when Christ is looking at me, Even in my sin, he's seeing what he can do for me and coming into my level to do a work so big in me that I come to a place where ultimately I can stand before him with no imperfection, no spot, no wrinkle, nor any such thing, not because I made a decision to get awesome, to go to the gym, to read a book, but because of his work in my life, and because of his work in my life, I may make some changes, but the changes that I'm making in my life is not because of his condemnation over my imperfections, but because of his grace empowering me to do the work because I love him now as much as he loves me. And he is asking me and he is asking you to do the same thing. Now I want to talk to the, the men. How much time do I have? Nine minutes, it says. We might go a little longer, I'll just tell you now. I want to talk to the men because I am a man and um, I feel it necessary to. In this construct of marriage, Who is Christ and who is the church? In Ephesians 5, Christ is the man and church is the woman. And it gives the impression that if there's anybody who will go first in making this transition in marriage, it is the man. In Ephesians 5 and verse 30, it says that Christ says, you are members of my body. I take responsibility for it. Now, my head is the part of me that's speaking, but connected to it is its body. And it makes decisions that control the whole body. And if my body is in a certain condition, it's because of the decisions my head made. And you know what I found as a man? My family will go about as as far as I do. Spiritually, mentally, physically, relationally, it'll go about about as far as I make a decision to go. And you know what I've also decided? Men, I'm talking to you. My family, and call me traditional, but this is the way it is in my family. I'm not saying it has to be this way in yours. They took my name. Stephanie Sims, she took my name when she married me. My daughter has my name. My sons have my name. 
So my family and my marriage, it is my responsibility. And when I see imperfections in anybody in my family, I have made a decision. I will approach those imperfections as Christ has decided to approach mine in Jesus' name. And I want to encourage every man in all of our churches, even the online campus, I want to encourage every man to take this kind of role in your marriage. But maybe you're listening to this and you're a female, or maybe you're, you're here and you're a female and you're in this marriage covenant. This is still your assignment too. What do we do when we see imperfections? Four things. Number one, first thing we do is we see they need me. And we give ourselves unto them. When I see my spouse's imperfections, I see a need they have for me. They need me. When Christ saw our imperfections, he gave himself to us. Isn't that amazing? It's like he sees us in our sins and he's like, not like, oh, I can't believe you would do that again. It's like, instead, it's like, golly, they need me. Look at them. They're sheep gone astray. Like, you want it? They need a shepherd. Let me go get him. When he sees my imperfections, he sees, God, they need me. When he sees my sin, he's like, ah, they need me. They need my presence. They need my fellowship. They need my warmth. They need me. And he gives himself for us. Who's the greatest in your marriage? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest in in all these rooms you're worshiping in? Who's the greatest? It's not those with the most money. It's not those with the most fame. It's not those with the greatest athletic ability. It's not those with the loudest voice or the strongest opinion. Who's the greatest in marriage? It's not the one who always gets their way. It's not their one who just holds all the right keys to win the argument. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? The greatest among us is the servant of all. And Jesus said, if you see me washing your imperfections and taking this time to get on my knees and wash your feet, when you see the imperfections of each other, especially those who have your name, could we take the time to wash each other's feet? That when I see imperfection, the first thing I see is they need me. Secondly, we make a decision to wash each other with the water of the Word of God. I'm going to wash them with the Word. What does this mean? It means I'm going to speak life over them. I'm going to speak blessing over them. I'm going to call those things that be not as though they were. So oftentimes when we see imperfections in others, we live in a society that will shame them for having those imperfections. You ever felt shame for being imperfect? You don't have to raise your hand, but in marriage, have you ever felt shame for being imperfect? You ever felt the shame of someone just seeing your own weaknesses, like the woman caught in adultery, thrown at the feet of Jesus, and feeling like everybody in your life, your husband or your wife, just wants to throw a stone at you? You know what shame will do? Shame sees all the weaknesses and the imperfection and exalts it over the worth of the person. Shame sees the imperfections and the weaknesses and exalts those imperfections over the worth of the person. 
And when I'm being shamed, I'm hearing you see my imperfections more than you see my worth. And what's happened is the issue has become more important to you than the relationship. That you care more about this issue than you do me. And when that happens, it kills something on the inside of us. The other night was my, last night was my son's 15th birthday. He's growing up, man. He's a man. Like I was, I was watching him last night. He was laying on the ground. He's got like hair going up the back of his leg. I'm like, what happened here? What happened here? And we're sitting at the table last night, like eating a birthday meal. And he is just devouring food. Like it is it is not right, the sound that he makes when he eats. Uh, like, it is like, where did, I mean, like, gone. And anyway, but I, I, I'm sitting there at the table, and I'm about to call it out. Like, I'm like, just slow down. Like, enjoy the bite while it's in your mouth. I'm training you for dating. Like, all, I'm so tempted to. And the Holy Spirit just grabbed me. He's like, does this matter right now? See, we take all these imperfections and it's like we go to work on and turn on the water hose. Instead of over time with the rag, gently washing and cleansing. Majoring on the right things and not shaming. Making sure that I, they know that I value them more than I value this issue. They teach us, even you know, Christians and people who aren't Christians, honestly, who deal with the, the, the things of marriage, they say, if you have a good marriage, you need seven positive interactions to every one bad one. So seven good words to every one wrong one. Seven to one. I think that's a good ratio. Seven things that show you how much I love you and what you're worth to me. Seven things that show you how right you are to me. Seven things to show you how beautiful you are to me. Seven things to show you compared to one thing I want to fix with you. (laughs) Seven to one. Washing with the water of the word. The third thing Christ does is he nourishes us. This is the third thing we do when we see, see imperfections is they need something. Well, they're not acting right. They need something. Well, they're getting angry all the time. They need something. Well, they're just so insecure. They need something. Well, they're just never coming home on time. They need something. He nourishes us. What do you need? Listen, let me talk to you and find out what you need. I was with a mentor. I'll close with this. I was with a mentor this past week and was blessed to see him with his his spouse and I love this couple, have for many years. And in watching them together, I was impressed in a new way. I just saw a, a greater level of, of affection. Not love, but affection. Affection is when you make someone feel loved. How many of you know there's a big difference between loving somebody and them feeling loved by you? Affection is when you can feel the love. And so I just picked up my phone later, because I believe when you see something good, you ought to say it. Amen. You ought to, you ought to say it. Like, that was good. And so I picked him up, 
I picked up my, my phone and I texted him. I just said, I, I wanted you to know exactly what I just told you. Like I see an affection. It blessed me. It blesses me as a man to see men who know how to love their wives. It blesses me. And that blessed me. And he texts me back. This is long, but it's good for you, so I'm going to read it. This is his text to me. He said, Joel, as I get older, as I get older, I see the value in our wives and family more. When I was your age, it seemed like I was the workhorse for most of my life. I had to get things done. had to make a living. And every one of them, my family and kids, came after making that living. I thought I was doing it for them. And yes, I was. But somewhere in there, I lost sight of some truly valuable things. I put physical needs and work above connection and love. And now it's very sad to be 67 and see some things that, I, that could have been so easy for me to do. To be kinder. Love more. Talk to them more. Encourage them. Speak more life. Ask them uh, what they like. Simple things like, do you like for me to hold your hand in public? If I walk ahead of you, would you remind me to love them deeply? Show it openly. Often tell them how pretty they are. Joel, I made a lot of mistakes, but my family has been most gracious to me in my shortcomings. When my mom died, I felt as if I never really knew her as a person or the woman she really was. The girl, a mom of six with lots of responsibility, a pastor's wife. She conformed and didn't laugh or have a full or lovely life. I would have liked to have known what made her laugh. I would have liked to have known what made her cry, what she really loved to do and and what she could, um, not just what she could have afforded. He said, one time, I bought her a mink coat one time, late in life. She died young. She cried and said, I always wanted one, but never would say it because I knew I could never have it. I wish I would have known her desires. Now I'm older, and I'm finally in search of finding all that my wife really likes to find her needs and give them to her. I'm working on me, Joel. And what if we could all do that? What if we could all go to work on ourselves and to come and just see at the end of the day, all this stuff this world is seeking for means nothing if you don't have love and connection with the people right there with you. I mean, it doesn't mean nothing. And we see countless examples of that. All these people with the stuff you want, miserable. But when you got love and connection and you got joy and warmth and all these things in your life, nothing in the world compares to having that type of harmony that comes from that. And I love his, his transparency and honesty of I wish I would have taken more time to just ask, what do you need? What makes you laugh? What do you want from me? What, what is it that you desire from me? And to just mind those needs, mind those desires, just like Christ does us. And to begin to put on that garment of a servant and begin giving it to him. And lastly, what does Christ do when we're, when we're off, when we're imperfect? He says, come here, let me hold you. 
Let me cherish you. This past week, I had a good week, man. I don't know if any of you had a good week. But I had a good week. Uh, our church, it's, it's blowing up like it's never blown up before. I mean, we had more people last Sunday in physical attendance than we've ever had. Amen. That's a blessing. It's not all about that, but it doesn't hurt when you have it. Our online audience was the biggest it's ever been to. Um, professionally, things lined up just very well in other arenas of my life. I went on a work trip, got home Friday night, and I'm sitting there Friday night with my family. We have a family movie night, and my, my wife was laying with her head in my lap. My son's next to me. My daughter there. And I tell you, I know a lot of pastors who would want what I have. And they would look at a lot of these things, buildings, facilities, campuses, and just think, man, if I had that. But I'm telling you, in that moment, just with my family, I felt richer in that moment. More warmth. In that moment, than in anything in this world. And I want to encourage you be a man, be a woman, that when you present your spouse before you, you see your work in their lives, your kindness, your prayers, your love, your devotion. Your heart, your comfort, your warmth, your touch, that you can see a tangible difference in their lives because of you. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for each and every person who's here today. And I thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you give us the courage and the conviction to come into a place of love and joy and peace to come into a place of restoration and hope and life. I speak over marriages and family and I say everything that is old is washed away. And Jesus, everything that you want to do new is coming now, coming fast, and coming speedily. Father, we love you so very much. And we thank you, Lord, for these things. In Jesus' name.